Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and a higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, health, relationships, and spirituality. And today, we have a very interesting guest, actually two guests. Uh, our primary guest here is Sneha Puli Mathur. Uh, she is uh, an individual who has a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology, and also a doctorate in ed- education and disability studies. She teaches applied behavioral analysis at USC uh, related to autism and neurodiversity. Uh, Sneha has worked to develop autism support programs to increase the quality of life for individuals uh, with autism. And she is a co-author of Understanding the Lived Experiences of Autistic Adults with her uh, co-author, Adam uh, Valerius. And also she loves basketball, the Lakers. As she was telling me, I can see the Kobe there. And chasing her two-year-old around. Welcome, Sneha, to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, we also have a little, uh, also another special guest. This is uh, Reggie Peralta, our former producer of the show, uh, who's a very smart young man, um, autistic background as well. Welcome, welcome, Reggie, to the show. Yeah, great to be back, Dr. Avila. Yeah, I'd love to have you sit in and listen to some of this, maybe give some feedback and even do a, a case analysis if we can. Uh, so, Sneha, this is something interesting. Uh, the work that you do is very, very fascinating. Now, I wrote a book um, years back called The Gift of Shyness, in which you know, okay. I'm a shy person, and I reconceptualize shyness as a positive in many ways. For example, shy people have extraordinary sensitivity, a deep reflection. But they do have self-consciousness, which helps, uh, which you know, can be a challenge because they judge themselves and, and they criticize themselves at times sure. and they shy away from people. But there are also a lot of beautiful traits to the shy individual. And it seems like you're doing the same uh, similar thing with autism. You're reconceptualizing it uh, in, some, in a positive manner. Well, what I read here is you tell me that um, autism is a sense of natural diversity that mm-hmm. can unfold uh, creative potential. Right. It's not, and it's not a persistent deficit. Now, is that true? So the way the there's, there's a medical model of d- disability, understanding disability, and the social model of understanding a disability. And so- yes. What I'm trying to do is bring more of the social model in to balance the medical model in how we treat and support autistic individuals, yes. uh, primarily by centering autistic voices in their own treatment planning and supports. So there's this concept called the double empathy problem. Mm. And what the double empathy problem says is that the current acceptable explanation for dif- differences in behavior is that autistic people's behaviors reflect deficits. Mm. And the acceptable form of treatment is to encourage autistic people to modify their behaviors Mm. to reflect mainstream cultural norms and expectations, right? Mm. And so the double empathy problem comes in and reconceptualizes the problem as a mutual lack of understanding of each other's behaviors. So both neurodivergent and neurotypical people are not understanding each other's behaviors and that there is no one norm or normal Mm. behavior. Mm. It's just what society is telling us is normal, the majority Mm. in society. Mm. So the acceptable form of treatment would be to work towards understanding these dichotomous behaviors. Interesting. Now you did mention a couple of terms that we're going to try to define some of these things, but you mentioned neurodivergent and neurotypical. Can you just briefly define those two terms? Yeah. So, um, can I go a little bit into neurodiversity first? Sure. And make a little bit more sense that way. Yeah. So neurodiversity basically um, was developed by autistic individuals and recognizes autism as a valuable form of human diversity mm-hmm. rather than a deficit. 
So the idea that there's a, like one normal or healthy type of brain or mind or one right way of neurocognitive functioning is a culturally constructed fiction. And um, just like there's no one normal or right ethnicity or gender or culture, right? So the focus is on individual strengths rather than their perceived deficits. It focuses on, so neurodiversity focuses on the lived experiences of autistic folks to help society understand the barriers that autistic people face in social and cultural worlds. So when I say neurodiverse, when I say neurodivergent, neurodivergent is a form of neurodiversity. So it's like one category of neurodiversity. So if we're talking about a group who has autism, we can refer to them as neurodivergent. If we're talking about a group who has autism and ADHD, let's say, then I would I would use the term neurodiverse. Mm. It's more than one neurodivergence mm. that we're speaking of. And the, I could, we could be talking about neurotypical people mm. or people who have not been diagnosed with something mm. um, along with autistic folks. And the, the, the whole category would be described as neurodiverse. Okay. So I guess I would be neurotypical. Reggie perhaps is neural, uh, was it neurodiverse or neural... Neurodivergent, probably. Divergent, because he's got one, possibly. And then, how about yourself? But if we're talking about your both of you, then it would be you're a neurodiverse. Neurodiverse, okay. Uh, Are you neurotypical or neurodivergent yourself? So there's a lot of debate on what is included in the term neurodivergence. Yes. Um, It was originally created by autistic folks, and it oftentimes includes, uh, most commonly includes... Um, autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and certain diagnoses, but others have argued that things like uh, anxiety, PTSD, things like that should be included as well. And if you include that, then I would be included in your divergent. But when you think about it, if if you include everything, then hmm. is everyone neurodivergent? Oh yeah, all all right? so-called that's disorders. <laughs> exactly, that's yeah. the whole well, point, right? We well, all man, have our mania. Different. They said is something that a lot of geniuses have. You know, this high energy level, which is considered, I guess, neurodivergent, right? It's, it's right, exactly. And so that's different. the whole thing about neurodiversity is like mm-hmm. we're embracing the, all of our differences. We are yes. all different. Exactly. Now the other thing is, I know you don't take kindly to the DSM five TR. Uh, definitions, which is basically uh, autism spectrum disorder as um, as a deficit. Now they talk about uh, persistent social deficits, which I see of a kind of a you could say a low EQ emotional intelligence. They're saying they have a deficit in social emotional reciprocity. I guess emotional communication, uh, nonverbal relationships. Uh, so the DSM five TR also says that autistic people have restricted repetitive behavior. Really? We talk about sameness, routines, extreme distress, and small changes. And either hypo or hyper reactivity, which means they either overreact to the environment or they don't react. So, how do you classify those? Are those problems? Are those strengths? Or something in the middle? Yeah. So, I take issue with the term deficit. So, if you look in the DSM five, and if you look at the autism criteria, it literally down the road, it's deficit, 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 mm, deficit. Right. And where this, where the concept of neurodiversity comes in, is mm. we're just thinking of this not. We're not saying that people don't need supports or need help. Everyone mm. needs help. 
But but the issue is that the DSM was written mostly by neurotypical people mm. reflecting mainstream societal and cultural norms. And so in so, you know, people with autism, they go through years and years of therapy and then they're not able to hold down a job when they become an adult. Mm. Why is that? It goes back to the double empathy problem. The rest of society is not changing their behaviors either, right? Why does it why does the burden fall on the person who has is is showing the most differences in their behavior? Right. So we say double I mean, I think of empathy as putting yourself in someone else's shoes and feeling as they feel. She says society should feel that way toward autistic people and autistic people should feel that way toward society. Is that what you mean? Or Yeah, exactly? so like for example, like right now or at least in the in the past, the the model has been let's change autistic people's behavior. So let's take an example of an interview. For example, more more larger larger companies are doing interviews differently for autistic people. They'll have special programs where instead of coming in and doing the typical one-on-one ask me questions, are you making eye contact with me? Um, are you distracted by fidgeting with something mm. and that's a negative they will instead ask an autistic person to come in and do a task related to the job that doing an interview in that style mm. better gauges uh how well suited a person with autism is for that job than the mm. traditional interview model so that's a societal change uh-huh. that you know making eye contact, whereas in the past might have been seen as a deficit, is now being understood as just a difference that's right. not actually needed as part of the job. To but be is done. that going to be for everyone, or is that people tested autistic and then they give them that, that kind of interview? How would that work? Uh, I mean, so this that goes to a whole different conversation about mm. accommodations and, and receiving uh, the right accommodations that you... Okay. That you need, any, and I would argue that anyone should receive such um, accommodations when needed. But then there's also a lot of stigma with disclosing that you have a disability right. or a certain right. diagnosis. So right. it's a double-edged sword, and it's something that we're working towards slowly. Actually, yeah, it seems kind of a little interesting. Yeah. I guess in sales, though, you would have to make eye contact, right? So I guess some positions, you do need to have that. Sure, yeah. And so some positions might be better for some folks than others. I see what you're saying. Now, yeah. uh, Reggie, uh, you've been listening very carefully here. Uh, and you've gone through a, a lot, right? I know you started a, as a kid with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, if you can, in autism. Well, um, I believe I was diagnosed when I was one year old. Wow. And that was um, back in the 90s, and um, it was like, the diagnosis was like in his infancy and like everybody's like, oh, autism, um, brain man. And funnily enough, oh, my mom actually, she says she knew I was autistic because of that movie. And because initially, oh, like I said, wow. I was diagnosed when I was one years old. So like that first year, she would argue back and forth with psychologists, doctors, like, oh, he's autistic. And they're like, no, 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 that's not, that's oh, not true or whatever. Oh, well, she, until I was finally diagnosed with, with it that when I was one years old. And um, so, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I guess I had a, typical case of autism you know stimming you know mm-hmm. um echolalia you know like repeating a word over and over again you know and um growing up um um i had a hard time interacting with my peers i did have friends but it was like really hard to like um i don't know just um have like um interact you know with ease you know and i learned as i went along you know and sure. i was an rsp as a kid so yeah hmm. 
Now, would you say, uh, is it a deficit or is it a, a gift uh, or is it a combination, uh, Reggie? Uh, I would say it's both. Yeah, definitely business. in my in my experience, it's been both. So, yeah, like some ways it's kind of like, uh, uh, it's a kind of feels like, oh, shoot, you know, like, well, actually, because most of the time, you know, and you have, if you're autistic, you know, you're not really thinking about it. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is just how people are, you know. This is how, like, everybody does this, right? You know, everybody does this, don't they? Right. Or whatever, until somebody right. says, oh, actually, they don't, you know. So, right. yeah. By the way, uh, Stan, the, 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 has an incredible sense of humor. Is that atypical or typical of, of autistics, or does it vary? He's a very funny I think, guy. <laughs> I think you. I think you vary. It's. I think that's 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 Reggie. That's okay. him as individual. So, you know, autism is part of that individual, but Reggie right. has a lot of different qualities, and his sense right. of humor is one of them. And see. Reggie, heard, uh, you know, like he made a few points. So, you talk about Rain Man and stuff, and a lot of what people. A lot of how people learn about autism is through the media, through social media, through TV shows, things like that. And there have been more and more of those popping up. So it's incredibly important that um, producers and directors get that right so that it doesn't stereotype all people with autism when we're talking about Mm -hmm. autism. So that's an interesting point you mentioned there. I see. Now, let me clarify some terms here. Because I've heard of um, the word spectrum, which means kind of like um, a scale based on extremes. So how do you refer to these individuals? Are they called spectrum people? Are they called autistic um, or something else? How would you use that Yeah, term? when I was, um, you know, back in my bachelor's degree, I was taught to always say individuals with autism, mm-hmm. person with autism. Um, that's changed now with the neurodiversity movement a lot of people are embracing their autism or their neurodivergence and Mm. prefer being referred to as autistic people Mm. or autistic folks or um and so using that person-centered versus identity first language has been changing in the in the past what the word spectrum sounds kind of a cool Word. I mean, I think of like a, a big thing. Is this, is that used at all in this way? Uh, it can be. It can be when you're talking to or about someone. It's so and so is on the spectrum. Mm. Uh, I always make it a point to just ask the person who I'm working with what they prefer. If that's an option, if I if I'm at a conference or something like that, I'll interchange how I refer to people on the spectrum right. or autistic okay. folks. Because not everyone has the same preference. Right. How about like um, high versus low functioning? Now, Reggie, you told me you're high functioning. Is that a term that you guys use as well in this thing? Are you asking Reggie? Uh, asking you, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So clinically um, and traditionally, clinically, there's high functioning versus low functioning. Um, going back to neurodiversity and embracing differences, uh, we try we are trying more and more to perhaps reconceptualize that as maybe high needs or low needs, depending on the needs of the person. Um, I don't think any parent would like to hear, hey, your kid has low functioning autism. It's not really a great way to present a human being. You know, not necessarily true either. We could could argue that society is low functioning in inclusion. Good point. I like that. So she's reversing this. Uh, what do you think of this, Reggie? Reversing this kind of paradigm in a way uh, to give more value and benefit to individuals who have this. 
Well, yeah, like, I mean, it's um, definitely a big part of it is just the way people perceive it, you know? And, like, just in my own life, you know, I've always kind of, like, uh, I've, like, kind of shied away from autism, the autism label or whatever, because, like, not because, like, I guess I'm ashamed of autism per se, but just because knowing, like, um, you tell people, oh, I'm autistic, and they don't have to say anything. You just kind of see that, like, mm. like they, like, their eyes light up, like, oh, shoot, you know, like, I have to walk them eggshells, you know, I don't know how they're going to react to this or whatever, you know. So, yeah, just um, maybe, like like you said, just changing the way we look at it, you know, like, oh, okay, um, a person might be autistic, but that doesn't mean they're um, at their Rain Man or, right. or however they stereotype autistic people as. So, right. yeah. Who's Rain Man? be in either extreme. They can just be, autism is just one part of who you are. There's so much intersectionality and autism is just part of it. The Red Man, from what I remember, he was a card counter, wasn't he? In blackjack, he made a lot of money or something. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he had mathematical ability. So we got, I mean, I'm curious about that—the abilities and all that and talents. Now, you uh, you wrote an interesting book, uh, "Lived Experiences of Autistic Adults," which is a thing of research you talked about. Now, you also use the word "spectrum success" in your website. So I guess you you embrace the word spectrum in a sense. And you say yeah, success right? in a sense. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So. I started Spectrum Success uh, in order to support individuals with autism spectrum, but while also educating neurotypicals on how to create a socially inclusive uh, community. So I've worked with employers, with colleges, with individuals. Interesting. And, I mean, I guess I do like the word spectrum. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I mean, success is good too, right? So you put a good uh, yeah. twist on it, right? Uh, the other thing is, um, so in your book, I think you maybe mentioned something about autistic relationships, and you said there's not a lot of stuff out there about it. And uh, we actually talk a lot with Reggie about dating and relationships. Awesome. On the show, because, you know, we do uh, love coaching and all that, and we have a lot of experts, and they give them advice. But Reggie had a, a little bit of a challenge to meet someone and date and all that uh, as a, a, you know, who you are. So Reggie, tell, tell us about that. What were your experiences like in trying to meet, the, you know, a nice woman? Well, I feel like there was a lot going on there. Like, I mean, autism was obviously a big part of it. Bad, just um, other stuff in my life or whatever, you know. Like, I was kind of like a late bloomer, I feel, or whatever. And kind of um, just insecure all around, you know, even independently of autism, you know. And right. just... um, Maybe shy really or something. Coming, yeah. yeah, exactly, you know. And just, like, it coming into my own or whatever has helped a lot, you know. And, I mean, just putting myself out there, you know. And uh, fairly enough, another part of that was I feel um, kind of like... Uh, kind of like embracing my autism i mean it's not like what i lead with you know like in a date or whatever like oh hi reggie i'm autistic or whatever <laughs> but like it's kind of like oh i'm autistic i might manifest some of that or whatever and if they don't like it i mean i mean that sucks that's kind of like on them or whatever because that's just kind of who i am you know i mean i you know obviously like how do i keep the try to keep the stimming for example to a minimum or whatever but like if it happens like hey you know like kind of like this is who i am you know <laughs> So yeah, because yeah, Reggie has a lot of talent. I mean, he's a UCLA graduate. Um, he's very so. funny. He's into technology, uh, and we've had a lot of dating coaches come on the show and do like role play with them, right? Remember that, Reggie? Uh, some ladies. All right, yeah. We had a lot of fun with it. Reggie even sang a few songs for us on the show. So nice. <laughs> he, so he's actually coming out, and then actually we had a, a thing where we would actually pay a date for him if he can uh, go out with someone. Actually, you did, I think, right? That's right. Maybe, yeah. Date. But then, th then mm -hmm. she got into the friend zone. Now I don't know. That's our issue sometimes, right? He's such a nice guy. They put him in the friend zone. Uh, anything new on that? Have you been able to go out a little bit? Meet yeah, I've been on dates since then. Yeah, cool. um, putting myself out there, you know. Just, um, I like that thing. I keep hearing, oh, it's a numbers game. Yeah, 
before you get like you score, you're gonna get like you know a lot of rejections, and that's part of it, you know. I think that was just like a big thing to really understand, you know. Like again, like hey, I'm cool, I'm sufficient on my own, you know. Like it does not depend on other people. So Sam, do you have any uh, dating tips or relationship tips for uh, someone like Reggie? Should he well, date only autistic women? Does it matter? What should he do? No, I don't think that matters. Yeah, my co-author in, in the book, Adam, he is autistic as well. He, he's uh, autistic as well. Young man, I think. Yeah. yeah, and he talks a lot about dating and his specific needs related to dating. And I think it goes back to just anyone dating and understanding your specific needs and your specific wants in a partner. Um, and finding a partner, like you said, Reggie, who compliments you, who understands you, who understands that, you know, I saw you doing this when you said stimming. So I'm oh. assuming hand flapping. <laughs> That's right. So oh, one she, day she got you on that one. I actually came home one day from a client where we were trying to decrease this, this hand flapping and I did it. And I said, wow, this feels really good. Oh. This is a great stretch <laughs> for my hand. Why are we not all doing this? And so someone who understands that that's something that you mm. need to do to regulate yourself sometimes, mm. and that's okay. Um, Maybe you can play Simon Says with the lady. Hey, let's do Simon Says, right? You do yeah. the hands and all that. Oh, yeah, there you go, yeah. Paul's with you. <laughs> Make yeah, it into and, a fun activity. So yeah. with, with Adam, he's, he's struggled a lot with uh, not just romantic relationships, but also with, with peers, with colleagues, with mm his parents with friendships so a lot of different types of relationships and i think that um not just focusing on romantic relationships but allowing friendships to naturally develop as well which may yes. down the line lead to uh, romantic relationships and I'm, I'm with giving tips to like anyone i would give tips to dating is like find common interests find someone who has common interests with you um who, who just gets you. Who so, gets so you think of being in the friend zone, can that turn into a love relationship? Is that possible? Or is it more difficult? I have no idea. I, <laughs> I mean, I've heard two sides of the story. Sometimes, I mean, they say a lot of the great relationships start with, as friends. So that's possible. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, building that foundation of friendship and then that developing into yes. a relationship is awesome. Friend, yeah. friend zone, my understanding is like, you went on a couple of dates and then they thought, okay, no, I'm not interested. Right. Not attracted to you, but, you, but still you can be a friend, like hang out with me, but that's not a good place to yeah. be as a man, is it, uh, Reggie? Well, and it depends on what you're trying to get out of the relationship, you know? So, right. Yeah. And um, I do want to say there's one other thing too about, I feel like my, about difficulties with dating or whatever. Um, I don't know. This is my experience and mm -hmm. I don't know how it reflects on other artistic people, but um, I feel like a lot of dating at least up until relatively recently, a lot of dating is like uncommunicated, you know, kind of like, oh, and like asking a girl out, how do you explicitly say, oh, mm. by the way, this is a date or whatever, you know, for uh, a lot, I, it's kind of like a lot of people, I even ask a lot of people about that. They're like, I don't know. It just like, it just happens. Right. You know? And like, it depends on who you ask, you know? And of course, autistic people for the, um, for myself and mm -hmm. I feel um, stereotypically, we're very direct, you know, very like, right. okay, yep. this is a, <laughs> can I take you on a date or whatever? Right, and, yeah. Exactly. And well, that might be a too autistic person. Oh, I'd be uh, honest, you know, direct, you know, I'm not, I'm not hiding, I don't have anything to hide, you know, to a uh, neurotypical person, I'd be like, whoa, dude, you're 
strong. That's coming out a little too mm-hmm. hot, you know? So, yeah. I okay. mean, I've been out of the dating pool for a while. Oh, you're married. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been married for eight years, but it's okay. it's really um, different now than it was when I was dating. And I ended up meeting my husband on Match.com. Oh, okay. And then so I was on a platform where we mm. knew that we were looking for a serious relationship. And mm. like Rezzy, like you're saying, I would like I would prefer things to be upfront and direct. I would prefer to be someone to say, Would you like to go on a date with me? I remember our second or third date, my husband asked me, um, uh, can I call can I can I refer to you to my friends as my girlfriend? Mm. In direct way, and I was, is he autistic? He, you're you're banner. No, he's not autistic. Oh, okay. But me, I, uh, he's direct. So, so. Uh, yeah, he's direct. As a clinician, okay. I was like operationally defined girlfriend. Does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Right. Okay. And but I like that because it gave me an understanding of where we were. Right. And so Reggie, I like I don't know if it's just an autistic thing or I mean, and. I, what I'm seeing with this yeah, with the younger generation now is like they go out in a lot of groups, and then it's like, well, the person that you like is in the group, so is that a date or are you just meeting the group right. of friends? Yes, and we have so, now one of our favorite coaches for Reggie was this guy I think from the East Coast. Remember that guy with an thick accent? He's like oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Uncle Joe or something, uh, you know. Yeah. And he says, uh, just be the Reggie you want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you might scare some people, but push people away, but the one that really likes you will come to you. Exactly. So exactly. that's what he was yeah. saying. You know, walk into the room and just be the biggest Reggie you can be. Remember that, Reggie? Oh, yeah. yeah the, the intense guy, shaved head guy, you know, kind of a cool mm-hmm. character. <laughs> but that could be a good advice. Uh, now, the other thing is, in terms of, like, overall abilities, uh, gifts, or even challenges for autistic people, uh, you have a term that's interesting. It's called monotropism. Yeah. And you define that as focus attention uh, for something you highly personally value, like very intense focus. Yeah. And I'm thinking of that. That could be a tremendous gift. I mean, I'm thinking of geniuses, uh, you know, great accomplishing people that have this one mission in life that they devote themselves to. Like Mother Teresa said, feed the poor of the world. Martin Luther King says, equality for all humans. So, I mean, couldn't that be a, a tremendous gift? An autistic person has well, that absolutely. amazing uh, concentration. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in a nutshell, what monotropism theory is, is uh, autistic people can typically pay attention to a few topics of interest to them, but then they might have trouble tending to other topics that right. are not of interest. So the, multi- the multitasking is not their, their thing, right? The, the huh? Yeah, it's all about their up. special yes. interests, right? And so yes. clinicians often refer to this as an obsession or a fixation and right. something that needs to be toned down. But in fact, if we embrace this, I mean, the, I, my first thought is Temple Grandin. You take somebody who's really passionate about this one topic or this one thing, and they can make a real difference in that mm-hmm. in that realm and in, in employment. In the who's community. the person you said? Did you say something? Who was that? Temple Grandin. Who is that? Temple Grandin. Temple Grandin is an autistic. Uh, she's actually the first person first autistic person who wrote a memoir about oh. her life uh, with autism. Wow. Have you heard about that, Reggie? That one? Or no? And, uh, yeah, they, they actually made a movie about her, too. Yeah, wow. the movie's actually very well made as well. Wow. Highly recommend that one. Yeah. So you're saying this could be a positive, the monotropism. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like Mozart, you know, Michelangelo, all these people were obsessed, right, in a way. 
with something. Yeah, right? uh, you know. if, you think, if you think about it in relation to um, a job or employment per se, that person, if they have like a singular focus or interest, then their attention to detail and their reliability um, will probably be higher than the neurotypical employee that is doing it as well. Yes. But of course, you know, nowadays, you know, we have so many terms floating around. People talk about yeah. self-care, work-life balance. You know, like on the other side, if you're too obsessed with work or whatever it is, then it's not healthy. Do you agree with that or no? Or you think people are happy when they do what they love? I mean, I'll ask both of you guys. Let's say Sneha, that one. I think I'm currently finding out the hard way that uh, work-life balance is really important. Okay, so you believe in that. So you can't I, just be I, focused on the one thing. I believe in it and I preach about it, but I <laughs> have not been practicing it, let's just say. And I am working really hard right now on on self-care and taking care of myself to be a better mom and employee and therapist. And so, yeah, if you just, but again, it's different for different people. Some people yes. define themselves by their profession. Mm. And, um, well, let me ask Reggie, what do you think of Reggie? I mean, are you a one focus kind of guy? Do you have multiple things? How would you classify that? I definitely try to um, balance all my different um, projects and like uh, relationships, you know, try to like, um, I try to stay on top of my work, but I also try to make that time for like uh, friends, family, loved ones, you know. Right. But Just, are you obsessed um, with one thing as an autistic person was supposed to be or not? I Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like I'm better at like dividing up my in my focus or whatever. Before, but I definitely growing up, yeah, definitely. I was very young. That kind of like fix it, get those fixations or whatever. But um, but it is kind of like, it is good because I'm actually able to kind of channel that now and do some of like my work or whatever, like. Like I work for a theater right now, oh, a nice. staff writer, and I write like um, uh, Godzilla it was like one of my fixations as a kid or whatever. So <laughs> now, um, whenever we have Godzilla stuff, I write something about Godzilla oh, or whatever, okay. just like naturally or whatever, you know. Just like, I love that. I love how you said um, how you channel your special interests. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. So you would watch Godzilla over and over again as a kid. Uh, what would be your oh, fixation? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, would yeah, you wear hands like uh, Godzilla hands or something, or how would you do? That's it? Like, Oh yeah, we'd, we'd get toys and stuff, you know. I was like the only kid. Well, there was no Godzilla hats back then. There was no Godzilla merch, you know. <laughs> but now it is the kids are spoiled with it. So yeah, lucky okay. them. I see. Interesting. So that could be a transformed into something. Now the other thing is, um, you know, when I wrote the gift of shyness, I talked about introversion, which is kind of a related but but different. The idea that internally people get energy from within, and then other people get externally energy from others. You know, socialize. So you could be a, a non-shy introvert. Where basically you're not really shy, but you get energy within, but you go out and talk to people and then you need to recharge your batteries, maybe take a hot tub. Or you can be a shy extrovert, which means you are a little bit uncomfortable initially and then you get comfortable and you can be out a lot with people. So I'm trying to figure out the idea of when I hear the autism, I think of people that are maybe socially withdrawn. Is that something that could be a positive? Is that could be a challenge? What do you think of uh, the typical autistic person uh, growing up? So in my research, and you know, when I'm saying research, I mean uh, reading more than 20 autobiographies written by autistic folks and wow. spent two years with Adam doing a deep dive into mm. all these issues. A common theme that came up was this feeling of isolation. Mm. So there is this, there is this uh, perception that people with autism prefer to do things alone. And that may be true, but there's a difference between 
choosing to engage in an activity on your own versus being purposefully excluded from an activity. Mm. And so what a lot of autistic folks have been saying is that they've been excluded from activities without any sort of explanation. Mm. Um, and that is really painful. Mm. And that is really hard to understand. Wow. And so um, I'm not as familiar with, you know, introversion versus extroversion. Mm. But in my research, I do come across this, uh, you know, the stereotype that people like to do things alone if you have autism. And that might right. be true. For some. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you don't invite them to or try to include them when you can. Interesting. Well, you growing up, were you the kind of kid that wanted to meet other kids or were you not interested? Do you remember that back in the day? I remember like seeking out kids. Try to, yeah, I remember trying to make friends, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, it was just hard. Well, I remember obviously, moments like you said like kind of like that introvert who needs to who can go out and then reach they need to recharge or whatever there was a lot of moments like that right even now i'm still kind of like that but uh, yeah i i saw companionship friendship yeah consistently are there some autistic people that don't seek companionship i mean the classic ones that just withdraw us now is that just um does it vary in that sense yeah i think it just varies i wouldn't even i think it's more of a stereotype but i think that um a lot of autistic folks seek out relationships whether romantic or friendships or mm-hmm. their families, um, but they have specific needs in how that relationship operates. And and then there's a matter of being able to articulate those needs. Um, and so, but in general, autistic or not, so people, some people prefer to be on their own or prefer to be right. solitary. Yeah, so I mean... Interesting. Well, the other thing is, so you have applications and relationships, but I think you have a lot in work and employment. This is a very interesting area. I think you talk about it uh, in your book as well. And you consult with, I think you said, parents, colleges, and employers. And I learned some very interesting information here. First of all, uh, obviously, you know, when you're hired as an autistic person, it's a benefit to you. You gain confidence. You know, you have something at work. You make money and so forth. And they say that 60% of autistic people have an average to above average IQ. Yet 85% are unemployed. Yeah. And part of it, I think you said they don't know how to sell themselves. The interviews, I guess, the eye contact issue, the the short direct answers and all that may not be, you know, something that gets them the job. Uh, and then they talk about stimulation, uh, tra- uh, training on the computers, like doing like a simulation of an interview can be helpful. And uh, But what I didn't understand is this actually be, can be a benefit to the employer. You can actually create a workforce of autistic people that can be tremendous. So, right, yeah. I never, so, I never thought about that, that part of it. So, right. So like I was talking about before, you know, oftentimes those with autism have great attention to detail. They are trustworthy. They are reliable. Yes. Loyal. They have low absenteeism. Yes. Um, and they might enjoy certain jobs that other other employees that are neurotypical might find repetitive or socially isolated. Right. So I was sad when Reggie left me. Remember Reggie? We talked about that. I said, <laughs> <laughs> Reggie wanted to move on to some things, but you know, he's such a great person to you know, work with. Uh, and I guess the, it's interesting. So they talk about also they're good at creative people. They're very creative. They can detect patterns, uh, coding, and also being passionate and, uh, and you know, like I said, hyper-focused can be yeah. very productive as well. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and the challenge is with... Um, Gaining and retaining employment usually comes down to the soft skills. 
Uh, social skills that people are not used to interacting with. And that's where employer education comes in. Right. Giving them a chance, I would think, right? Because they're yeah. not like the typical employee interview, I would think. Exactly. And and then not only once the interview is done, but like once they're hired to retain them long term, mm. um, providing, you know, accommodations like sensory things, if noises bother them, allowing them to wear headphones or... Um, rather than a cubicle right next to the water station or the break room, mm. having an office or having a space where they can go where there's uh, sensory uh, regulation, you know, like mm. maybe lighting or certain type of lighting or mm. less noise or things like that that help them engage in their job better. Mm. Rich, how about you? I mean, you're you're highly intelligent. Have you been underhired, do you think, because of autism, or have you had any issues with getting the right kind of job? Hmm. I'm not sure actually, because like I've uh, bounced around between a variety of jobs. Like I worked for you, Dr. Avila, yes. and then I worked as a pizza delivery driver for pizza, and now right. I work as a right. editor for So is it easy for you to get jobs? I mean, you think you're limited in some ways, or and I guess it's like dating, you know, it's a numbers game, you know, that's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. So you're positive. I got, <laughs> okay. I got my rejections that I got acceptances, but okay. yeah, right. I made it work. But other autistic people that are very bright, they can't get jobs, um, Sneha, because of the soft yeah, skills? That's, yeah, about? it's a huge, it, just, it breaks my heart because these are such capable, employable, uh -huh. and passionate people who are not getting jobs for all the wrong reasons. Hmm. Is it like 1% of the population or 1 in 60? What's the numbers of autistic people, as far as you know, in America? Oh, man, that keeps changing, and it depends on how you define. Right. So it's a few percent, you think, or less? Done. Yeah. So at least uh, a, a lot of people, no? I mean, in minority sense. Like, I think the last I heard was like 1 in 54 or something like okay. that. So it's a significant number. So that could be a huge workforce if you tapped into that, right? If, as exactly, an employer. yeah. And, and a lot of especially technology companies are starting to tap into that. Yeah, I was reading, uh, I think when I talked to you off camera, there was one, this da Danish software specialist, uh, I think it's called Special Isterin. They they have 75% of their or employees are autistic. Yeah, exactly. And, and the owner, I think his son was autistic. So then they do yeah. like some kind of coding or something, repetitive stuff, you know, which works well for the company. Yeah, uh, and I found that in general, uh, a lot of these new developments and these new supports for autistic folks are coming from parents because there's just nothing out there to support their children, and so they create it themselves. Interesting. And this other company, this is SAP Labs in India, and they are also doing a lot of this. They call it Autism at Work Program, and they're doing the things you talked about, the social combinations, uh, like teaching them soft skills training on the job, how to be more sociable, I guess, uh, giving them mentors, and also having autism awareness training. So they're actually going 100% into this whole thing you're talking about. Yeah. Helping accommodate them. Very cool. And apparently yeah. they're not just doing it for, for humanitarian purposes, but also for the bottom line because it helps them make money, right? You know, they're, yeah. They're, they're effective. What yeah. Do you, what do you, yes, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, unfortunately, when you're, you know, we're talking about human beings, but when you're talking to businesses, you have to pitch it to them in a language that they yes. understand, which is the bottom line right. and revenue and how uh, 
this specific employee is going to help your company grow or make you more profits, et cetera. Right. Is that what you do, Sneha? Do you actually consult with companies on this stuff? What do you do? I did. At a, right now, I'm pretty much full-time working at USC. Oh, okay. Teaching stuff. Um, teaching now and in the process of creating actually an internal autism support program at USC. Mm. And so... Uh, I'm doing less with Spectrum Success and more now focusing at, at USC. Interesting. So you so got rivals uh, there. Uh... Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> my sister went to UCLA for undergrad. So okay. when I started working at USC, I felt like I was cheating on her. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, um, I'm kind of curious. Why did you get into this? Uh, you said you're not necessarily autistically Spectrum, but do you have family members or something struck you about it? Yeah, so I, I guess... Uh, First of all, when I was seeing um, when I was seeing clients in their homes, a lot of parents would ask me, "What's going to happen to my child when I'm not around? Will they be able to get jobs? Will they be in mm. relationships? Mm. Will they be able to take care of themselves, live on their own?" And so I would go home and do some research into adult support services, and continuously come up short. Like there was barely any research on adult support needs. Mm as well as resources that um, actually prioritize the strengths and interests of an autistic person. There might be job programs where it's like, here, you have these three jobs to pick from, choose one of them. And then they wonder why job retention is so low because that's not Mm -hmm. building a career, that's just choosing a job for a short time, right? And so that led me to develop Spectrum Success, um, getting into the psychology world in general is it's kind of more of a funny story is um a lot of people when I was growing up would tell me that I'm a really good listener and I should be a psychologist so I started taking psychology classes and I realized well actually I'm not a good listener I'm just not a good talker (laughs) but at this point I'm already in my master's program so you're more internal you're more of an internal energy kind of person (laughs) yeah and so um yeah, there was an internship I had one year at um, somewhere here in Orange, California. They, they no longer exist, but it was Pyramid Autism Center. And I just fell in love with working with the population. And I felt like, and then I'm not sure if you've heard of Dr. Peter Gerhardt, but he's a mentor mm. of mine. And mm. he, he got me interested in the this adult space and how to help support adults. Because right. the emphasis right now is on early intervention and right. services stop at the age of 22 and then what you don't have autism anymore Hmm. no you're going into adulthood where your needs are totally different and nobody's there to support you right but yeah it's really fascinating work now reggie on my show he loves science he loves politics technology so he he often asks questions of our our esteemed guests Uh, remember that guy what was that guy from uc irvine or something remember that um very smart dr hoffman hoffman yeah he talks about evolutionary psychology all that stuff so, Reggie, you've been listening. Is there anything, do you have a question for her or even a comment, something you're curious about in terms of her work? Um, Actually, I'm really curious because, so, I mean, I've, I've briefly been reading about, like, this issue in autism, and um, there's, like, a lot of um, discussion about gender and our, our society and culture right now, a lot of debate about it. And um, I'm actually really curious about when the context of autism, because I looked it up, because growing up and just stereotypically, um, I'm sure you know this, autism is presented as a primarily male phenomenon, you know? Okay. And so like, oh, well, we're all the autistic girls. 
so I'm looking it up, you know, and sure enough, there are there are grants where I have autism. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. there. And like even now I'm noticing more and more of them. But same what I've read, like just like on psychology today, just random little articles, you know, like they say like, yeah, girls and bo- men and women both have autism, but uh, for the most well, as far as we can tell, there are some differences between the way autism manifests in women versus the way it manifests in men. So I'm actually curious if you have any um insight onto that. Yeah, that's a great question. So when the autism diagnosis was first developed, it was developed mostly with white boys. So the autism criteria, even as it's evolved, it reflects culturally and sexuality-wise white boys, right? And so autism can look different in girls, and the the autism criteria does not reflect that, though. Also, girls tend in general to be better at mimicking their peers. And so a lot of times their behaviors are go unnoticed until later on in life when they realize, hey, I, I'm, I'm in college now, I'm struggling with this or that. Um, and so they're more able to socially adapt than boys typically are um, by mimicking their peers. But also, it's just the way the diagnostic criteria was written up. It was it was written up mm-hmm. more for boys than for girls. So, Stan, would you say is 80-20 boys, I mean, male to female today, or is there numbers at all in that? I I don't remember the number. I think it's one in four. Ladies. One in five. I, don't quote me on this. Okay. I, I don't remember the exact number, but okay. I would say it's inaccurate. It might be accurate in what who is diagnosed. Currently, mm-hmm. but I I would say it doesn't accurately re- represent the actual number of diagnoses in okay. society. It could be more of the autistic females, possibly. Yeah, more and more autistic mm-hmm. women are getting diagnosed in their thirties, forties, fifties. They have a child mm-hmm. who is diagnosed with autism, and they realize, mm-hmm. oh, these were my struggles growing up, and right. these are my struggles now. Mm-hmm. And Right. Then they go back and get an autism diagnosis. Excellent. Well, good. Good question, Reggie. Yeah, Reggie's always on, on the target here. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, he's done a great job. Uh, so, thank you for being here, uh, Sneha. Now, is there any new developments, things you're working on in the future? And you mentioned you're at the USC. And tell us about your your work you're doing. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of. Uh, I've, I'm doing a lot of research on basically neurodiversity and how to. Uh, implement these concepts of neurodiversity into NBA to make it more um, autism-centered, person-centered. So define that. Is that a therapy or something, ABA? Yeah, sorry. ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. So it's uh, like the golden standard for autism treatment. So what do they do? Do they uh, reinforce you if you do something good or or something like that? Or Kind of. So it's a bit more complicated <laughs> than that. But yes, they uh, there's a lot of reinforcement. Behavioral and, stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to in the core teaching socially significant behavior. But what we're doing at USC is kind of reconceptualizing what socially significant means by centering autistic voices as socially significant rather than all the noise from outside. Nice. Reggie, right. how do you feel? You've been validated today. Do you feel good now as, as who you are? No, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I called. Just, yeah. Like I said, like said, it's just, it's a part of me. It's not part who of I okay. am, you know? Yes. Very yeah, supportive. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's wonderful, Sam. I mean, it's been a pleasure having you on. Is there a website or where people can get a hold of you? Even Reggie, I don't know if you want to talk to her in the future, collaborate in some way. Yeah, I'll you have can, some, some you ideas. Can, in you, yeah. you can email me at Sneha, my first name, S N E H A. Yes. The letter K M A at USC.edu. Okay. So that my full name is Sneha Coley Mother. So my first name, Sneha, initial of my middle name, and for the for some reason, first two letters of my. Okay. Life. And you have a web, do you have a website, uh, books, yes, and things people get, get a hold of? Spectrumsuccess.org. Okay, spectrumsuccess.org. You have you, I think your books on there and all that. The books uh, are on there, and you assaulting. can contact me through there as well. Yes, I like it. So basically, just be be who you are, authentically, uniqueness. You know, loving yourself. You know, we talk about love university, uh, loving yourself, loving others, loving the higher nature. So this is a beautiful concept. Uh, Say, I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Uh, very enlightening. And Reggie, you know, we got to get together. you got to text me. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk more. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, it's been a while. I think you love Mexican food, if I remember. So we, we did some Mexican oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, celebrations. <laughs> Heck yeah. Great to meet you, Reggie. Very nice to meet you, Sneha. And, uh, you're you. Indian, so do you do Indian food, Sneha? Do you like any of that stuff? I do, but in general, I don't. Actually, Oh, so. okay. Well, I mean, go out to eat or something, right? Go to the <laughs> next restaurant. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avedo, Love University. Uh, everyone put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. Class is now dismissed. Until next time. So that was a really great interview with Sneha Mathur, who's a specialist in autism, and our good friend, former producer Reggie Peralta. We haven't seen him in a while. Uh, autistic, but also very bright, very loving, very compassionate. And we learned a lot that, you know, we're all unique. We're all special. We all have abilities. And the key is not to judge each other or define us in a way that makes us feel bad, but to look at the positive sides, the talents. Autistic people have that great focus, that great concentration. The geniuses do. And it can be something very powerful to develop. So we can learn a lot from these individuals and others. If you want to be on the show in the future, or if you have a show idea, you want to comment on today's show, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. Visit us at loveuniversity.love. Write to us at loveuniversitylove at gmo.com. You can download the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Love Letter U Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at also Love Letter U Podcast. Until next time, so Dr. Alex Avila, Brothers Week, and have love, spirituality, and happiness. Put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. Class is now dismissed.